how can I help women not to encounter that or be able to put their best foot forward but I also wanted to work with men I want to work with I want to create male allies now let's face it when the the large majority of business uh, in Australia is run by men and predominantly Anglo-Celtic men we know that there is uh, there's inherent bias and there's inherent blindness to the experiences and the lived experiences that women and underrepresented groups have because those men don't have those experiences so I thought I want to work with those men I want to help them understand how to make better decisions at the at the heart of everything I'm a businesswoman I like to make money for me and I like to make money for other people and the way to make money is to delight your customers have great risk management and have superb people and you cannot do that if you've got a homogenous group running an organization Hi, I'm Renata Bernardi, and this is the Job Hunting Podcast, where I interview experts and professionals and discuss issues that are important for job hunters and those who are working to advance their careers. So make sure that you subscribe and follow, and let's dive right in. Before I met Michelle Redfern, I had heard a lot about her from my friend and our colleague Div Pillai. Div and I go way back, we go a very long time, and she is now the co-founder of Mind Tribes, a diversity and inclusion consultancy, where I support as a head of marketing strategy and Michelle as Div's partner in Mind Tribes' non-profit arm, CDW. CDW stands for Culturally Diverse Women and Workforce. Div always had wonderful things to say about Michelle, and so I always wanted to meet her and know her better. Michelle is an in-demand speaker and a regular contributor to the discussion about equality and inclusion in sport and business. So it was with great pleasure and gratitude that I interviewed her a few weeks ago for this podcast. Michelle is the founder of Advancing Women, an enterprise providing research and advisory services on equality, inclusion, and gender diversity. During her 30-year corporate career, she held executive leadership roles at listed companies like the National Australia Bank or NAB, Australia's telecommunication giant Telstra, and global service provider Serco. Her rich experience, together with the completion of an MBA in her 40s, propelled her to move from having a corporate career to helping corporate Australia do a better job at supporting female professionals and advancing women through their ranks. Today, Michelle works closely with some of the most influential CEOs and leaders in the country, supporting their organization's design and implement diversity and inclusion strategies that work. Michelle is determined to contribute to achieving global gender equality in her lifetime, especially through her research and advocacy in the sporting industry. And she walks the talk. She is the founder of the professional women's network, Women Who Get It, and co-founder of, like I said, the social enterprise CDW with my friend Div Pillai. Her most recent venture, A Career That Soars, is a private networking platform for corporate women to connect, learn from each other, and invest in their professional development. I will add the link below to the Career That Soars platform in this episode's show notes so that you can check it out and investigate if you are interested in participating. She is also an experienced and executive director, having held board roles in sporting organizations, nonprofits, and startups. She is an ambassador for several organizations that support women, such as the ICCT20 Women's World Cup, the biannual international competition for women's 2020 cricket. In 2019, she was named City of Melbourne Female Entrepreneur of the Year. The year before, she was recognized as one of Australian Financial Review's 100 Women of Influence. She is a panel judge for the Vic Sport Awards and has been a long-term Telstra Business Women's Awards judge. For those outside of Australia, know that these are some of the most amazing accolades and awards programs that one can aspire to receive or be involved in as a judge. So what did we talk about? She has a finger in so many pies and I was so curious. We had a very long chat. In this episode, we discussed her diverse career trajectory from leaving school at 15 to having a great 
career and executive roles and mentors along the way. Her aha moment in her 40s when she learned so much about herself and made an important career transition. How she influences corporate Australia to stop the exodus of professional women from the workforce. Her love for sports and aspirational goals for women in the sporting industry. We also discuss career advice for women. The missing 30-30% of career advice women are not getting to help them advance professionally a topic that is very passionate for both of us and why it is so hard to coach professional women. I feel that Michelle's work and my work are so complementary and intertwined. She supports decision makers who want to make organizations more inclusive and support senior women advancing their careers. I coach and educate professionals on job hunting, career literacy, from blueprinting your career plans to the step-by-step transactions that lead to career advancement. We are hoping to collaborate more in the future and I personally cannot wait for that to happen. And if you receive my newsletter this week, I have sent curated articles including three of Michelle's best blogs in my view and they are amazing reads. I also added some great research additional articles which are complementary to this week's episodes on diversity and inclusion and female career advancement. So watch out for your inbox and if you're not yet subscribed to my newsletter please join and you will also receive those additional um, resources in your inbox every week. Remember, you can always reach out to me if it's time to start investing in your career progression. Check my website. There is a link in the episode show notes and you'll be able to see all my services as well as the free resources that I have created just for you. But for now, here's my chat with Michelle. I hope you enjoy and check her out on career.source and check out her handles on social media and follow her work. She's an amazing leader and coach and a supporter of women and diversity and inclusion. I hope you enjoy this chat as much as I did. Bye for now. All right, so why don't we just start by you telling the listeners, Michelle, about your career trajectory, because it's always good for people to know a little bit about you and your journey and how you got to be where you are today. Sure. And well, take your time. We have time. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> fine. Well, trajectory is a strong word because I always say yeah, my, my very short answer is I've had a non-linear career and I now have a portfolio of interests, but that doesn't really capture what I've done. I in, That's a problem a, many women have, isn't it, Michelle? Well, um, or an advantage. Oh, I think it's an advantage yeah. because I certainly it look back at my career and look at the decisions that I've made for a bunch of different reasons. And in fact, I've just, I've had a a call with someone else this morning and the way I described my career is that I've always been very driven, uh, very called to leadership from a very, very young age. Didn't know why, but um, leadership interested me. So, so I am a generalist, you know, I have a, I don't have a profession. I don't have a a qualification, although I mean, I have a, a, an MBA, but that's a master's of business administration. I'm a business administrator and I'm a leader. Um, And I've been doing that my entire life in a range of different forms. I started off, I left school very young. So I left school when I was 15 because I was very, very determined to earn money and escape from the country town that I was living in. And Mm -hmm. escape meant having enough money to buy a car so that I could move to the big smoke, uh, which was Perth. And really from then on, I simply put my hand up and very, very openly desired leadership positions. I spent the first part of of my career after I left my country town, my hometown of Geraldton, I I spent it a couple of years in banking, but then I I joined Telstra. It was telecom at the time uh, in 1989, and I spent 15 years there, and and that's where I grew up. I grew up personally and I grew up professionally at Telstra, Mm -hmm. and it was such a brilliant organisation because in 15 years I probably had 10 or 12 jobs, worked for three or four different divisions uh, in two different states uh, in Australia. So Telstra was just, I had so much professional development there and so much opportunity to learn how to be a leader of people uh, and organisations. So that was really my foundational years um, in my career. And what characterised my approach to my time at Telstra and subsequently was that 
I wanted more. I wanted to lead. I wanted to climb the career ladder, although my ladder was more like a jungle gym, as Cheryl Sandberg says in Lean In, than, uh, than a, a very straight up and down ladder because I did swing from side to side and backward once. But uh, I put my hand up for big roles. I put my hand up for doing things that required fixing. So I'm a fixer. Um, so in the, you know, when you look at organisations who want to go remediate, optimise, transform, I always came in at the remediate and the optimise uh, piece. I liked fixing problems and particularly when those problems involved getting people to work in alignment, really upping engagement levels of clients and customers and people and yeah, turning around, turning a business around uh, to become a high performance um, organisation. So that was, that was number one uh, in terms of it had to be something that I could fix. It had to be advancing my career. I was always very, very clear that I wanted to increase my role, increase my influence and increase my salary so unless it did those things I wasn't going to take the role and then the third thing it had to be kind of interesting and that didn't necessarily mean I had to know everything about the role so I've taken a couple of interesting roles where people have gone gee what do you know about transport and logistics and warehousing absolutely nothing but I'm going to learn gee what do you know about ATMs and cash services and digital machines absolutely nothing but I'm going to learn uh, but I took those roles because they were interesting they required a fix-up and Frankly, I knew that they were going to add to my uh, add to my CV and make it very, very interesting. But for ultimately, at the, at the heart of everything, my my God, my forty year career, which is very sobering to think that I can say forty years in the workforce. Uh, my forty year career has been characterised by people, by leadership, by relationships, but also by getting stuff done. You know, I am a fixer, a doer, and getting runs on the board. So that's kind of the very high level view yeah. without going into, you know, I don't want to give you a roll by roll, of, you know, or, you know, CV, a rundown of my CV. People can, people can see that on my LinkedIn. I was going to use a word that I know you hate and then I'm trying to find another one and I can't. So I'm going to say it anyway so you can have a belly laugh. <laughs> I know which one you're going to use. <laughs> I was going to, no, I am going to use the word pivot, Michelle. Ah, I knew it. <laughs> Michelle, when did you decide to pivot your career <laughs> and be your own boss and start helping other women and other professionals? Because I know you don't work only with women, do you? you your no. coaching and, and leadership and speaking engagements are with leadership teams in organizations. Can you explain to us how you made that transition? Sure. So... The work that I do now I, is, is I explain it very simply in that I work with leaders to fix the systems within organisations that prevent women and underrepresented people from advancing. Okay. And so I do that by working with the people at the highest level, uh, preferably the board, the CEO, the executive, and, and particularly um, the, the layers, the couple of layers below the executive team. So... Um, and I engage male allies. I really I, I want to build coalitions of willing male allies to help fix systems that, that, that prevent women um, from advancing into leadership. And then the other side of my work is I help women navigate that system until we fix it. And that takes its form in a whole bunch of different things, which we can kind of talk about later. But yeah. why did I make the choice to do that? Because my entire life I've had this nagging feeling that I was meant to do something. I hankered to be my own boss because I am I'm probably one of those employees that go, yeah, we'd love to have her, but we're not sure we really want her because she's a bit of an agitator and a bit disruptive and kind of hard but does a bloody good job. But, oh, God, she's hard work. So I'm, I'm, I'm not the best employee, which is interesting given that I had a 30-odd-year employee career, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, with age comes wisdom, right? So, but truthfully, I, I was in my 40s. I had, I had started my MBA, so, and my MBA was one of the many really terrific experiences I've had in my life that helped me have some significant aha moments. And my MBA did a whole bunch of stuff for me, including convincing me finally that I was smarter than I'd given myself credit for. Um, but it also helped me to unlearn some stuff I'd been telling myself my entire career, which was I'll probably make a good 
second in charge. I won't re- I'm not really CEO material, even though wow. I tell people I am. Yeah. I'll probably, you know, be a really good COO. I'm not particularly entrepreneurial. I'm not particularly innovative and I'm not particularly creative, which of course is complete and utter rubbish. And I started to, because I, I took my, my core subjects in the MBA, obviously, but then I, <clears throat> my electives uh, were around innovation and entrepreneurialism. Because uh, I thought, well, I better learn this stuff. And then, of course, I'm having these aha moments going, but this is what I do. So I'd been an entrepreneur within organisations, but as, as one of my, my dear parents said to me, goodness gracious, you've been scheming and plotting and creating stuff since you were a child. You've always been an entrepreneur. And I thought, wow, isn't it interesting the stuff that you tell yourself? So anyway, long story short, I had a couple of moments, you know, aha moments through my MBA. And I had also got myself involved in diversity and inclusion work as part of employee resource groups at the National Australia Bank. Uh, the first was, well, it wasn't an accident. I was asked to chair the Disability Council Nobility, which was a bit of a surprise to me because I don't identify as being disabled. And I thought, I wonder why they want me to chair a disability, you know, group. That's really interesting. Well, it's because I can get stuff done. I've got good leadership presence. Um, I've got great networks. I could be a great advocate mouthpiece. And I was unafraid to have difficult conversations about what needed to be done better for employees and customers who were disabled. So that was another life-changing experience at at the same time. But I thought, gee, I love this work, this advocacy work and really dismantling systems and processes and policies that you know really disadvantage disabled people um is you know this is really good work and i was enjoying it mm-hmm. i was getting myself more i've been a lifelong feminist and i was very very vocal about women's rights uh so i was also getting myself involved in another initiative led by a wonderful woman uh, at the NAB called cindy bachelor and we kind of put our heads together and said there's this proliferation of women's groups within the NAB, I think we counted 70 at one stage, we said, why are we not getting all of the, all of us to work together in harmony? And, you know, because with volume comes voice and with voice comes change. So I was doing this kind of work. And then um, I also stepped on to, I had my last boss at the NAB was absolutely terrific. And he said to me, I want you to be on the divisional. So we're in the largest division, which is now known as tech and ops, but uh, I want you to be on the the diversity council for the division. I want you to be our representative. And I met another unbelievably awesome man called Steve Collier, who I consider a dear friend, an ally, and just a champion of so many people. Mm -hmm. And I started to go, this is the work. This is the stuff I love to do. I wonder, you know, that that Venn diagram when you realise that there's your passion, your purpose, and, and a need that you can get paid for. I went, Mm-hmm. What? I wonder. I wonder if this is kind of what I could do. And but the truth was, I was having really good days doing that stuff, and I was having not so good days doing my corporate job. And I'm going, how can I have more good days like this? I've got yeah. this MBA happening. Okay, so I'm an entrepreneur, and I'd already started my side hustle doing coaching and mentoring with women. I had started Women Who Get It, my my networking group, which you're you're a part of, mm-hmm. and I just went. This is, these are all signals. It's time. So my, my beloved wife and I started to plan and we said, all right, let's do this. Michelle, I'm listening to you. And, you know, I've always loved you from a distance. We don't know um, each other that well. We, we're both in mind tribes, but we kind of work mm-hmm. with different, different spheres in different yeah. projects. So it's, it's mm. interesting. And I'll explain that more when I do the introduction. Mm. But listening to you, our careers are so similar. Mm. Like our, the decisions that we've made are so similar. I was always hired for fixing up stuff. You know, I, you know pe- when people couldn't find anyone else to do a job, they would scout me. <laughs> you yep. know, and say, look, she can, I heard she's good at fixing things and, and, yeah. and remediating and, and doing that stuff, that transformational stuff. We don't even use that word anymore. Nobody, nobody uses the word transformation anymore. But back 10 years ago, you know, when, yep. when governance structures needed to be redone or you needed to bring something from zero to 100, I think 
the difference might be in the scale of business that I worked, which were smaller than than the corporate uh, entities that you've worked at. So I was more mm. in the not-for-profit and yeah. government education sectors. And the timing of our decisions and the planning to shift, you know, yeah. and working and, with and I think the spouses so. as well, because I think oh, it's totally. important to bring the spouses along in that journey because it's a, it's a big transition, you know, to, to make that jump from having a full-time employment to being your own boss, isn't it? Well, it's, it's you know, there was the, the rise of the female entrepreneur and look, there's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff. So one of the things that I'd also done during my, my MBA was you obviously do a lot of research a lot of reading and I just I adored it but I also knew that there was an exodus of women from corporate Australia into female you know they were female entrepreneurs they were starting their own businesses basically because they needed to buy themselves a job that could make their life work Mm. um, because corporate Australia wasn't helping them with their life and you know so I said all of these things were coalescing into this one yeah, I finally had that, oh, my God, this is what I'm meant to be when I grow up. Now, this happened when I was 49. So, you know, it's never too late for anyone, as I say. But, you know, and I'd also had the experiences of being, there was one particular experience which, you know, I, I was working for a global outsourcing organisation and I was, it was a terrific job. I had a great boss who I aspired to his role and, you know, but he was moved, uh, he, he moved on to another role. And I went, right, so I, I really want that role. But in came someone else from the outside and I hadn't even been considered. And I was so angry about it at the time. And I thought, I, I've got all this experience. I've got, I've got the credentials. I've got the clients. I've got yeah. the people. You know, I've just, why that, not me? Exactly. Was, That's why when I read your blogs and everything that you say, I, I'm like, it could have been me writing this. And sometimes you anticipate things that I'm thinking. Sometimes I've written in the past something and and Mm. now you're writing it as well. And it's because both of us have had all of those career changes, job changes. We've been hired. We've been, you know, we left organizations. We've been Mm. uh, overlooked for roles. And that richness gives you so much to work with with your clients now, doesn't it, Michelle? Well, it gives me it gives me the empathy, and you know, with, mm. with that experience, I, I now reflect back and I think, well, I, I know what I could have done more of and less of um, around that, and position myself a lot better. But you know, what drives me for particularly with the work I do with women is that I want them to be able to openly say, "This is what I want. This is what I aspire to." Now, I don't mind what what anyone aspires to. If 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 you want to be a homemaker and uh, look after your family for the rest of your life, that is cool and that is your choice. If you want to be the CEO of BHP, that is cool and that is mm. your choice. Or anything in between or a combination of those. Whatever you want, but be clear about what you want, be clear about how to get it um, mm. and be clear about how to position yourself for yeah. that. And what I wanted was, what I needed then was someone like me now <laughs> to, to talk to and I didn't have that. Now, it was probably there, but I hadn't looked for it because I'm not very good at asking for help. But what I wanted to do was take that feeling that I had of, man, I've been overlooked again. What is it going to take? Um, now, it took another three or four years, but I wanted to take that feeling and always remember that because that's what fuels me to say, how can I help women yeah. not to encounter that um, or be able to put their best foot forward? But I also wanted to work with men. I want to work with, I want to create male allies. Now, let's face it, when the the large majority of business uh, in Australia is run by men and predominantly Anglo-Celtic men, we know that there is uh, inherent bias and there's inherent blindness to the experiences and the lived experiences that women and underrepresented groups have because those men don't have those experiences. So I thought, I want to work with those men. I want to help them understand how to make better decisions. At the, at the heart of everything, I'm a businesswoman. I like to make money for me and I like to make money for other people. Yeah. And the way to make money is to delight your customers, have great risk management and have superb people. And you cannot do that if you've got a homogenous group running an organisation. So that's, Michelle, that's what I, I wanted to do. 
sorry, I didn't want to interrupt. I'm just thinking um, how to approach this, this example, because I really wanted to know how you talk to the leaders in the organization and you approach them. I recently brought to your attention a piece of writing that made me feel very uncomfortable. And I showed it to you and Div, and you took that up to your client. It was written by one of your clients. And I know that you've approached your client about it. How do you do that? How do you then present your case to say, well, this is not really what you should be putting out there to your public and your customers and clients? How did you approach that conversation? Or you can use other examples as well, because that's a real example, isn't it? Yeah. Very tangible. The heart of what? At the heart of everything I do is people and people and feelings, emotions and relationships. So I have achieved, I put my success, my, my corporate career, my executive success, my success with clients, with customers in, in all of my roles down to the fact that I can build strong, trusting relationships quickly. And you don't do that by, well, I... I how do I describe how do I do that because it's so inherent to me. I want to create the opportunity in every room that I'm in for every person to feel included and like they've got a voice. Now, that isn't always easy, particularly in the example that, you, that you've given. When I'm in a room with a group of people who have had one set of lived experiences and have not had this kind of thing brought to their attention before, um, or a behaviour or whatever, um, you, you actually have to manage that really carefully and really diplomatically and say, I wonder how we might have done this better. Ultimately, the work that I do, put, putting a more generic view on, if, if I my clients engage me for all sorts of different reasons, and, and, I'm, you know, and I'm very pragmatic about that, some of it's because they've had a client say, wow, you haven't got much diversity and we're not going to buy from you anymore unless you get that fixed. It might be the board saying to the CEO and the CEO's team, we've got to do something about getting more women into leadership because this is not a good look. It might be, it's, it's, less around, uh, it's less around the business case, as in shivers, we better make some more money by getting some more women onto the leadership team. It should be that because they've got a responsibility to shareholders. But it's often because they need to fix something. There's something, gone, something has gone wrong in the organisation or there's a very, very evangelical person in the organisation that said, we need to do this right. And so that begins the relationship and we start off in all sorts of different ways. But the reality is the R word is so important there, relationship. I build a relationship. Yeah. And when you, when you have to talk about tough things, when you have to talk about concepts that might challenge you because you think, gee whiz, I've never been challenged about the fact that I'm a middle-aged Anglo-Celtic affluent woman and my privilege, that stings. How do I do that? You've got to do it really, really appropriately and really diplomatically to get the win to get the win for everyone. So, yeah. so that's a long answer to your question. But the, the, the way that I engage is by being truthful, diplomatic, trusting and trustworthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the trustworthy is really just so important to me because my integrity and the way that I work is everything to me. And, you know, my clients trust me with lots of stuff. They trust me with data. They, they trust me with their views, they trust me with their strategies. They, you know, I, I'm in the inner sanctum of, of some of these clients' most powerful rooms, and they've got to be able to trust me, and I can't ever breach that trust. But it means being able to give them messages that, that perhaps that are difficult to hear, yes, but helping them manage hearing that and doing something about it. Mm. Thank you for that. That's why I keep purchasing for them from them. I know that you're there. <laughs> Give me a list of your clients and I'll add that to my shopping list. <laughs> well, you know, we, we, we know the power of the, uh, of the female consumer. And yes, in, of course. In, in, for some of my clients, I am talking to them about uh, particularly clients uh, in sport um, and, and in football, in Ooh. Australian rules football, for example. Yes. How, how engaging is the experience? You know, what, what experiences have been purposefully designed and delivered to engage your women members and fans and stakeholders. How might you do that better? Because that's the way. (laughs) 
I'd love to talk a little bit more about sports. So let me tell you my experience with sports. I'm a very tall girl, woman now, yeah. who all her life, everybody thought she could you know, play basketball or volleyball or something. I am so uncoordinated. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I cannot play to save my life. I, you know, bump into, you know, clear spaces and I will bump into a corner. I'll find a corner and I will bump uh, into that corner. I'm very, I have terrible spatial awareness. That's what it's mm -hmm. called. But I love sports. I love watching sports. I grew up watching sports with my dad. It was the bonding between us was yeah. watching sports. And it's, it's how I coach, you know, it's how I talk to clients. It's giving them analogies about tennis matches and basketball. And it really upsets me when people tell me they haven't watched the last dance yet, you know. Or they oh, right. <laughs> I've got my Chicago Bulls uh, hoodie on today. <laughs> and, and things like that. And, I, and I, I make analogies all the time. So I love the fact that you're so involved with sports and that you have built this bridge between business and sporting organizations and, and yeah. sports clubs as well. I want to know how that happened for you and when and uh, what, how are women, because I know your purpose there is to progress women's careers in, in sporting organizations and industry and get more involvement for women's sports as well in general, right? For the public to, to watch women in sports. So how are we progressing, Michelle? Uh, not well enough. There, are, there is certainly change happening, but it's not, it's, you know, it, it's like a lot of other um, initiatives with, when it comes to gender. There are, quite simply, the pace is too slow. How did I become, uh, look, sport for me is like you, it's been part of my life forever. Like, <clears throat> pardon me, my pet, I grew up in a country town in, in Western Australia. So, you know, you don't play sport or follow sport. There's, it's kind of a bit weird. It just is, just is who you are and what you do. So having always played sport um, and been involved, my parents were involved. You were probably good at it, weren't you? Oh, no, not you really. You looked like you were good I, at it. I'm oh, I was okay. I'm, like, I'm, a week, I'm a weekend warrior. Like you, I'm tall, so I was always, you know, goalkeeper and, yeah. you know, what have you. I, I was a reasonable swimmer. I was a reasonable softballer. I was a reasonable netballer. You know, I, I just, I, I, I played for the joy of playing. I was never, ever going to be an elite athlete. A, because I didn't, I never aspired to, never believed I could be, but I just, that, that wasn't me. Sport was fun. When I became, when I was older and my kids started to play sport, I naturally became, in, well, I, didn't, I shouldn't say naturally, I, I just became involved in their sport. And particularly with my daughter, she was involved in a, a netball. She started playing netball when she was about eight or nine. And, and I'm the sort of parent that would always kind of turn up and I'd go, yeah, I'll do the scoring and, and I'll, you know, cut the oranges or bring the jelly snakes or, you know. So I was always there and very enthusiastically barracking for her and what have you. And this particular club, you know, club, sporting clubs are very clever. They, they, know a, a, they know a potential target. So they quickly, the, the people there quickly saw another parent who wanted to be involved, which was me, and they said, would you like to you know, come on the committee? Would you like to learn to umpire? Would you like to coach? So all of a sudden I'm coaching, doing my umpiring course and sitting on the committee. And it was, so this is in the early 2000s. And I, I worked out, ah, oh, this is the way I can stay involved in sport because I wasn't playing anymore. This is the way I can stay involved and contribute. And just as a bit of a backstory, my parents were very very community orientated so we were always my dad was always in lions my mum was involved in volunteering and community service so that was very much part of what we did um, as humans so okay. being you know volunteering for a committee was, was just that was just what you did so I did it but I worked out once I started to uh, look I, I took on the secretary of this of our um, club's role and I did that for about seven or eight years and I worked out that I was good at it. I worked out that my business administration skills could really help. You know, I was actually, I was good at administration, so I could do that stuff in sport. Then I started to look a little more broadly and I, my, whilst my, my playing was like... Michelle, I can't hear you anymore. I'm assuming you're out of the room shutting a door or something. 
Yes, it is. <laughs> wow, good. Sorry about that. Um, there was a beeping sound. That's okay. I, yeah, uh, my, my cats are um, they're disgusted because I've locked them out of the room. Oh. Um, so I, my first, my, I, I kind of looked around and thought, right, so if I'm good at this netball committee business administration malarkey, I want to get involved in football um, and I want to be a football director. And then I thought, hmm, okay. So I kind of set myself on a pathway and thought, I want to be a sports director. I want to get involved in Australian rules football. So I did. Um, I took my first board director role um, at the AFL in Gippsland, AFL, so Gippsland AFL Netball League. And then after that, I joined the board at Williamstown Football Club. And throughout that, I went... And this is also around the rise of women's football. So women's football is really starting to come into everyone's consciousness. I and mean, it's always been there, but it was very conscious. Um, I was involved in establishing the first representative female side out of Gippsland, senior side, which was an extraordinarily rewarding experience. It was also an educational experience because I realised just how underserved, under-resourced um, and undervalued women were in sport particularly football, on and off the field. And I thought, hmm, I'll do something about this one day. And, I thought, and my one day in doing something about it was, well, I'm going to get onto the AFL Commission. I'm like, in fact, no, I'm going to be the AFL Commission and I will fix this. So fixing it is, has been, is still a long and winding path. So I've had my two football directorships. I've set up two or been a part of setting up two women's squads um, and teams, one at BFLW level. Um, I'm a very strong advocate and voice for, for women in sport, but I wanted to do more. And again, I go back to the my fix the system or fix the women. I don't need to fix the women. I need to fix the system here. So within my business, I, I created a new centre of excellence. I hate that expression, but I can't think of another one at the moment. Um, around research because so I thought my lived experience as a sample size of one is insufficient. I need to really understand what is going on for women, particularly off the field in, in, you know, in the offices and the, in the, around the power-breaking tables of, of sports. So I started, I commissioned research and I'm still doing that research. I remember um, that. It's, so it's still yeah. going. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm, we're in the middle of the third paper at the moment. Okay. So I've done two papers already. And the, so the first two papers are, are published and uh, I can give you all listeners links to those. Um, and they were essentially pointing out, you know, the first one was here is the state of the nation. And a lot of people, including myself very early on, were very, very surprised at the glaring inequity in terms of the representation of women in sport. But the numbers are dire. 90% of CEOs in sport are men. Uh, and that alone should make people go, really? So sport is being run by men, um, which means there are and, and a homogenous group, largely homogenous group of men, and which means that there is a relatively homogenous set of lived experiences when making decisions. Anywho. My second report was really delving into, we had about a, nearly a 1,000 participants in research, so men and women working in the sporting sector, who told us about their sentiments and attitudes towards women and leadership um, and equality. And, the, and the, the, the results and the insights are confounding. It, it demonstrated the very complex and contradictory nature of gender equality in Australia, you know. Yes, I want to be part of a gender equality movement, but I don't believe women have it, you know, aren't worse off. Anyway, so there's some really interesting insights there, but it is complex and contradictory. That's, that's kind of the two words that, that emerge from that. And then our third paper, which is under construction at the moment, is, is chronicling um, the stories of women in sport from career start to the boardroom. So we've got a whole bunch of women who are telling us about their stories and we're getting insights from that. Michelle, for, that, for people who are in the job market now, because those yeah. are the listeners of this podcast, are people that have lost their jobs or people who are considering career change, career transition, advancement, and they love sports like you and I, you know? Mm -hmm. And do, do you think it's a good choice for them to consider a career in the sector or is, oh. is, or is now not the time? You know, it's so hard. It's a really difficult question because... 
So there's, there's a couple of things going on. Number one is the very present, very real and present situation where sport has been, frankly, decimated by COVID-19. And we've seen some, some very, very deep cuts into those you know, employees working uh, in the sporting sector. So, you know, that, that, that is not terrific. So, you know, from, from that perspective alone, you'd be going, I don't know if that's really any uh, career advice I'd give to any um, person. However, putting that to one side, yeah, especially because the podcast lives on forever. You know, people could be yeah, there for sure. three years from now. For sure. Look, I think it absolutely depends. There's a couple of things. So, so let me be idealistic first and then I'll be pragmatic and realistic. Idealistically, I want to see more women and certainly more women of colour, um, more women of culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds come into sport and sporting administration. Uh, we must have them come in. We must have them ascend into more powerful decision-making, influencing and leadership roles because sport will die um, and not evolve unless we start getting that diversity in there. Now, we have to do, we have to get, attract more of those women uh, into the sporting sector by changing the culture, changing the environments and removing the barriers that currently exist for women uh, in the sporting sector. So, and that is, a, you know, that is the, the pure definition of a, of a wicked problem because it starts from everything from university course. So sports business management courses at, at most of the universities have an extraordinary gender imbalance. Um, and it's sometimes 10%, 90%, 10% women, 90% men in those courses so right from the outset the pipeline is not being topped up with with female talent once women are in the sporting um, sector which is broad we then have to look at what are the, the conditions and how do we how do we get women into those roles which are customer facing member facing revenue generating you know where the action is rather than saying well if I'm a woman in sport I'm automatically going to be and I say this with the greatest of respect I'm automatically going to be consigned to HR, marketing and communications or member services. You know, we, we have to shift the mindsets and the attitudes around those that are making decisions about talent and the, and the organisational design of sporting organisations. So, so that's the context. If, if someone said to me right now, if a woman said to me right now, I really love sport and I want to go and work in it, I'd say go for it, but surround yourself with great mentors, get the training and start advocating for yourself hard from the outset. You've got, in fact, don't get a mentor, get a sponsor. Mm -hmm. And those sponsors, sponsors preferably, are going to be advocating for you at every turn to get you to advance into those, those leadership roles. So I, I don't have a black and white answer for you, Renata. It's, a, it's complicated, but yes, I want to encourage more women from all walks of life in sport. We must have them there. Um, I think part of your answer is, is a good lead way to what I'd like to discuss next because you mentioned the importance of having women involved but also women involved in positions that matter and, yep. you know, uh, in positions where, you know, the, there's P&L involved and uh, customer facing, as you said, and, and strategic roles. And that has to do with my absolute love for Susan Colatuano's TED Talk, which I've been watching forever and I had no idea of the connection between you and Susan's work right, right. no idea until we booked this interview and I started doing the digging and I saw that you two work together and you have a, an interesting project together that I, I want you to talk about mm -hmm. but the TED talk that I talk about that I've just spoken about I add that link to most of my clients induction pack brilliant Yes, and I'd like you to explain what the 33% is that she mm -hmm. talks about on that talk and how it has influenced the work that you do in the um, Careers That Source project that you have going on. Sure. So the, the, the back story is that Susan and I met four or five years ago when she was, uh, so she's the founder of Leading Women and I, I'm a senior consultant with Leading Women. We have an alliance. So, so Leading Women and Advancing Women work together to close the leadership gender gap across the globe. And Susan did her TED Talk, the career advice you probably never received. I'm going to put the link in the show notes for everybody. To watch. Sure, sure. 
Okay. Um, and essentially, so we, we talk about we talk about leadership having it's a three part definition. So leadership is using the greatness in you to achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes by engaging the greatness in others. Now, what women typically get the conventional advice coaching, mentoring and training that women get for a whole range of reasons over the courses uh, or the course of their careers focuses on personal greatness and engaging the greatness in others, i.e. work on your confidence and your assertiveness and your leadership presence and your gravitas and blah, 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 that kind of stuff and be good with people, build strong trusting relationships, yada, yada, yada. What they don't typically get is the middle part of the definition, which is achieving and sustaining extraordinary outcomes. And outcomes are what keeps someone like me awake at night, a CEO of a business awake at night, profit, growth, customer, that stuff. So those business outcomes, the stuff that makes a business grow. And women, more often than not, not all women, uh, do not receive anything but conventional advice throughout their careers, which is why we, so, we see so many women stuck in the middle uh, of organisations and not ascending to the top. And that is, to your point, that is, how do you run a P&L business? So how do you create a business that grows profitably, delights your customers? How do you create greater you know, shareholder return? What are, you know, what are the, the fun, what story does the financial pages in the newspaper or your financial reports in your organisation tell and how do you make really great decisions based on those financial reports? What's your strategy? How do you not just follow strategy but you set it and you execute on that strategy? And, and that's the missing 33%. And conventional wisdom to women does not, it is not wrong, but it will not take you to the top because it is incomplete. It misses that, that 33%, the business, strategic and financial acumen, which is critical for anyone to run any business, large or small. And that's what it's about. I love that. So this is really interesting. What I have found, and I don't know if you've had that experience as well, just recently I have, I've had to discuss this with two different clients. Sometimes they have that financial nows that comes from being even a chartered accountant or a CPA, but it's buried they, you know, from 15 years ago, they feel like they haven't really kept up with that. They still pay the membership and they're still CPAs, but they're not, you know, working in that field anymore. And they stop talking about it. Mm -hmm. They stop remembering that that financial nows is part of their portfolio and their skill set. And I think it's so embedded in what you said um, before, the coaching and the mentoring and the confidence and, and the fact that they are not really interested in becoming CFOs. They have moved on from, from mm. those roles that they even don't mention anymore. You know, the fact that they have that 33% and they stop talking about it. Isn't it incredible? Have yeah. you noticed that as well? Absolutely. And, you know, the financial, the financial acumen is, is, is just one part of it. And certainly I've worked with, with many women who are, you know, financially or, you know, numerous. Um, so they're, they're extraordinary. They're, you know, you're right, they're CPAs. Um, they might be direct report to the CFO, whatever it may be. But it's actually about the, it's the story that the numbers tell. Mm. It's the strategy that you set and then execute on from that. It's that, you know, how do I make really good decisions that are, that are for this organisation and that will help it grow sustainably and profitably? And, but it's our language. And, and I'm very careful to say not all men, not all women. So many women, are, they, won't, they, they have not been coached and mentored and trained to talk the language of power, and which is the language of business outcomes. And when we've got, yeah, so let me give you an example. When men mentor men, they mentor them about the business of the business. So, you know, this is the business. When men mentor women, they give them confidence, assurance, encouragement, and, and you know, it, it's quite paternalistic. It can be quite paternalistic. They, our research tells us they rarely mentor them on the business of the business unless there's an overt ask. And as a woman working through my own career, after Susan and I spent our first week together, I said, where were you 25 years ago? Because remember that job I told you that I didn't get? because I was overlooked for it, guess what? 
if I'd, if I'd led with some different language, if I'd led in a, in a way that the people above me could see that I, I had business strategic and financial acumen, I had no shortage of it, but I wasn't demonstrating it sufficiently right. to those that were going to make decisions about pay and promotions. Yeah. So, you know, for, for many women, they've got it. They, this is not about fixing them. This is not about, you know, training them in something else, but this is about helping them demonstrate their business strategic and financial acumen in a strategic way to, to the people that matter most in their organisation. And why you, the three blogs you sent me to have a read uh, were excellent, and one of them was really about what you've just said about the 33% and embracing mm. that identity as a leader and um, identifying yeah. you know, your ability to, to, the, to create uh, opportunities for your employers. The other one that really stuck with me was the career crossroads and how women get stuck on those and they yeah. don't invest in their careers as much. I, uh, when I started uh, my consulting business, uh, one of the first clients that I had was a business school. And they needed me to support them in sales and business development of their executive training programs. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of, you know, got my hands dirty and started calling their former students that had done executive training before and asking if they were interested. I just wanted to get a Well, it needed to be done, the work, but I wanted to also understand who these people were. And most of them were women. And funny enough, when I called men and I said, we have these three opportunities coming up, where are you interested? They would sign up on the spot. The men would mm -hmm. just say, how much is it? Oh, yeah, yep. I'll do it. Yeah. Whereas the women would never sign up. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they were very interested. They would ask lots of questions and then they won't, wouldn't call you back. And then you would call again and they would again say they were super interested, but they mm -hmm. just, just couldn't make up their minds. And isn't it interesting that you and I as business owners and CEOs of our own organizations are focusing on clients that find it really hard to get unstuck? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, when I started my business, mm -hmm. I wanted to work with women and help women navigate yada, yada, yada. What I quickly learned was that coaching and mentoring women, uh, as much as it brought me lots of joy and meaning, uh, from a business perspective, a perspective was not scalable, and it was hard. Super hard. I found I found it the same. Yeah. And and women and, and those barriers. And I'd say, but you want this? You came to me, but oh, I don't, mm, don't know. You know. And and I I quickly realised just the same as a couple of other circumstances. I thought these women are, are like fourth or fifth or sixth on the priority list. In fact, some of them aren't even putting themselves on their own priority list. And, and I thought, what is, what is this? And so there's a whole bunch of stuff around that social conditioning, you know, career stage, uh, you know, financial mobility, relationships at home. You know, there, there's all of these, these forces at play that, that stop women from potentially investing in themselves. But also that they... I always say oh, there's three three kind of avatars of women that typically want to work with me. Mm -hmm. The first one is so I've been out of university and I've been in the workforce for two or three years. I want leadership. Show me how to be a leader. Teach me. Teach me. Teach me. Teach me. Awesome. The second woman is I've been in the workforce for ten, maybe fifteen years. I've just I, I've wanted it. I've wanted this big role. I've got it. I've got my first big leadership, you know, probably leader of leaders role. Oh my God, holy shit. What do I do now? Someone, they're going to figure out I can't really do this. And they, they have this crisis of confidence. And then there's the third woman, uh, this, this third avatar. Now, there's a little bit of me in this woman, I've got to tell you. She's about 40, maybe a little bit older, but she's reached a certain point in her life and she's woken up one day and gone, alrighty, so... I've been looking after other people, whether it be at home or at work, for my entire career, my entire adult life. I don't really know who I am anymore. Mm. I'm looking at the corner office or the CEO's office going, I don't want that either. I don't, do I? I don't want to start my own bit. Oh my God, who am I? What are my values? What's my purpose? 
what does the next 20 years of my career look like? I have no idea who I am anymore and what I really want. And I'm stuck and I don't want to do what I'm doing. I want more, but I don't know what it is. And she's the most fascinating woman. And, and look, you know, I, I use the, the, the age of 40 because that was kind of a bit of a, it <laughs> yeah. was a year for me. But we she need to start working together. Well. We need to start working together yeah. because my, my, our ICAs are the same. My ICAs are looking for work and they, yep. meet, they just don't know how to navigate the recruitment and selection process. They don't know how yep. to liaise with headhunters and sell yeah. themselves and talk about themselves in a way that's... Um, Oh, attracting okay. opportunities and it's really and that's about the whole thing. Mm. This, this this ability to authentically and gracefully self-promote which susan and i talk a lot to women about when yeah. you can talk about what your impact is for your organization and for society and what have you that is not that is a really good thing to talk about so yeah so they they yeah. i wanted i wanted to help all of those types of women and and many others but it was the system that was stacked against them. And the fact is that when you've reached that point in, in your career where you've reached those crossroads, number one, you've forgotten how to prioritise yourself. So women don't want to invest the time, the money or the effort because they feel guilty uh, about doing that because it's probably going to be at the expense of something else they perceive. But number two, they, have, they are completely unaware because they've only ever been given con conventional advice of what they really need to do to take them to the next level and the next level. And when I say the next level, whatever she decides the next level is. You know, for, for some, not everyone wants to be the CEO of an ASX 100 organisation and that is okay. Yeah. But when she works out what she wants, I want to help her get there and there is no job in the world there is no company in the world where you cannot not have business, strategic and financial acumen. And we must help women. And that's the missing 33%. And that's what women, I want every woman in the world to know that. Yeah, that's fantastic. I really like the way you put it. And just one, one note that I wanted to add as well, because I do have male clients and they are fantastic. And what I have found is that it gives me great joy working with them because they're very coachable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and one of them went to see Julia Gillard speak and he wow. came back and paraphrased her, her speech, sent me a link, which I will add to the show notes, about her struggles with her leadership as a prime minister of Australia. So for those who are not are listening from overseas, she was a prime minister who dealt with a lot of chauvinistic behavior, was bullied and trolled. And, and he wrote to me and said, as a quiet man in a leadership position, I could relate to that so much. <laughs> and, you know, there is a, a very interesting connection there. And I, I, I understood that very early on, many years ago. I have a book, it's bright pink. And I'm trying to find here, looking at my bookshelf, I don't know the exact name. I will add it to the episode show notes because I really love it. And it's called Why Women Don't Get the Corner Office. Do you know which one? Uh -huh. Yeah, it's, or it's why, nice girls, why Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office. That yeah. one. It's an oldie yeah. but goodie. I really yeah. like that one. And it's a very easy read. I had it on my uh, bedside table for a few months. One day I'm walking by my husband's office and he's on the phone with his employee saying, a male employee saying, I've been reading this book. I'm going to buy it and send it to you. It's bright pink and you are going to read it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, do you know the other, the other book that, that, uh, that your listeners should, should read uh, if they're really interested in the missing 33% is No Ceilings, No Walls oh, by Susan. Um, okay. And it, it, it is, and it's the sort of book that, you don't necessarily, you can sit down and read it all in one hit, but uh, you can go back to it over and over and over again. It, it has everything and more that Susan and I talk and teach women about. I do in all of my leadership courses, but it is the best business book for women mm -hmm. um, that they can have. Now, it, it, it's, you know, and I, I'm a great 
I'm a bookworm and, I, and I'm a great subscriber to lifelong learning and, and continuing professional development. But this will be, it's such a great reference point for women at any point, whether they're job seeking, whether they're going in for a performance appraisal, an internal promotion, uh, whether it's a salary negotiation, it is a critical, critical tool for oh, them man. to have in their toolkit. I'm definitely going to buy it. I buy my books every June as an end of financial year present to my business. Good on you. And I have a pile sitting here. And that gives me a whole year to actually make sure that I really want the book before I actually buy them. Ah, so that's a I'm good going, idea. Yes. I, I've, got, I, I've got so many books. I'm in the middle of reading, um, well, I'm just about finishing Anne Summer's book, um, Alive and Unfettered. Uh, and I have... I have two, my two next ones, I'm going, oh, I don't know which one to read first, which means I'll probably read both at once. Um, one's about Jacinda Ardern and it's her biography. And the other one is about Mary Barra. So the first CEO, female CEO um, of Ford uh, in America. And she is really? fascinating. So oh, wow. again, leadership lessons from women who are running seriously big, big organisations or in Jacinda's case, a country. A country, um, yeah. yeah. Yes. And and let's finish off by talking about careers that soar. Yeah. Yeah. Tell so us. A, a career that soars is so Susan's brainchild and she came to me just around this time last year and said, because she's retired from leading women. And she said to me, what are we going to do? I, I really want to keep serving women across the globe and particularly women. So, so the work that, that I do in advancing women and with leading women, we, we, we work with corporates or, or with organisations to help them close their gender leadership gap. But there's a lot of women in in the world who don't have access to leadership development, our leadership development, the missing 33% and so on, because they're either in smaller organisations um, or they're just in organisations that don't get this yet. Um, and we wanted to be in service of those women and we figured a digital platform um, is the way to reach those individual women. So Susan started a career that soars, invited me in to be co-founder uh, around this time last year. And it's our digital platform and it's not social media. We're really, really clear about this is not a LinkedIn group or a Facebook group. This is a, a leadership and career development platform for women at all career stages. So from emerging leaders right through to those who are already in the C-suite and serving on boards or reporting to boards uh, and everything in between. And we provide obviously our wisdom and, and a, a whole lot of content Masterclasses. I've got a masterclass this this week, actually. So masterclasses on leadership. We provide connection opportunities because what we want to do is is and this is me going back to my I love connecting great women with other great women. We want to connect and create and connect create a global community of women leaders um, and have them connect to be to make you know, strategic connections. And you know this is around women coming together. With volume comes voice, with voice comes change. And so, so that's us. So it's a, it's a membership platform. So you can join up for free as an Explorer member and then we have premium circles based on your career stage where you have access to, well, frankly, to me and to premium content including, you know, uh, webinars, masterclasses, podcasts, etc. So sounds amazing, yeah. Michelle. I'll have the link in the episode show notes for people yeah, who want to join and find out more and have more of you. And it's a great, it's just a great spot. You know, the, the women who who are in the group now, we we have all sorts of, you know, they will come in with a dilemma. Here's my courageous ask. I have just started, and I'm I'm picturing one just this week. I've just become a leader for the first time. I have six direct reports. What's the best way to engage those people and my boss? What's the first set of priorities? And the advice from all of us to that woman, you know, it is priceless. Um, so she's now got, she's got her blueprint or her game plan for her first 90 days in her first big leadership role just from mm. being a part of that community. So that, that is just Excellent. terrific and it's awfully meaningful to me um, and to Susan, of course. It's so lonely at the top, isn't it? I remember when Absolutely. I was a CEO and I have a friend who is now a CEO and uh, he's been a CEO before. He's now back managing a large uh, Australian organization and he wrote an open letter on LinkedIn 
about how lonely it feels, especially now during COVID, making so many tough decisions. And you will only know in hindsight if you're doing the right thing or not, because there's no forecast. And and, and I want to congratulate you if you do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. It is. You're right, Lorenata. It's really lonely at the top. And, you know, and particularly, certainly my work with male CEOs as well in, in my gender equity work, often I'm the sounding board for them, a trustworthy you know, Chatham House rules, the vault, a a, a sounding board for them to help them think more deeply, but also to voice their concerns. You know, that it is, you don't have a peer when you're a CEO. Mm. You report to a board and you probably have a great relationship with your chair, I hope, but you don't have a peer. Mm. So we need to give those women, those very few women who are CEOs and, and executives a peer group to bounce ideas off and learn with and grow with um, as well as women from all other career stages well michelle they are very very lucky to have you thank you so much for my time we've gone over an hour can you believe thank you (laughs) i I can believe it with you and i yes Ah, oh, that's been fantastic. I really, really enjoyed this. I really wanted to catch up with you and I'm glad that I have done this. So uh, yeah, thank in this you. podcast thank you for, so that others, um, other people can, can learn from, from you, not just me. No, that's my pleasure. And thanks for your patience with my, um, my diary earlier in the month. So. Oh, no, no. I completely understand. Cool, cool. I hope you found this episode useful and that it helps your job hunting and career plans. Don't forget to subscribe and follow me on social media and on your favorite podcast app. And please join the Reset Your Career community so I can send you free tools and resources to make your career advancement more successful. See you next time.